It says, and he went up on a mountain and called to him those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boragines, that is, sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot also, who is he who betrayed him. And they went inside the house. And the multitude came together again, so they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about it, uh, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you tonight. We thank you for all that you've been about, for the good day that we've had and how you've blessed us. We thank you for that. Continue to bless us now by opening your word to us to uh, make it very plain and clear to us. And Father, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but doers of your word. And so, Father, work your way in us and let us uh, surrender to your will. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage of Scripture, uh, Jesus comes to really a, a sort of a critical time in his ministry. Uh, it's a time when he, he has to decide, how is he going to carry out the will of God? How is he going to carry out the work that God has sent him to do? And so what he does, uh, he chooses 12. He chooses 12 guys to invest his life in, 12 guys uh, to be a small band of followers, 12 guys... Uh, to carry out what he feels the Father would have him do. Twelve to train, if you will, and, and to mentor. And you see, he chose twelve guys to write his life on their hearts. And there's two things I want you to, to notice right off the bat about that is that he freely chose whom he wanted. And secondly, they were obedient. They were obedient. They, they surrendered and followed him. Him. Now, he doesn't choose on conventional lines. I'll speak about that in a little bit, but he chooses on who he, who he knew. Uh, I think he saw some potential in these guys. I think when God calls us uh, to salvation, he calls us to salvation first, and then he, he, sees, or he sees the potential before, but he tries to develop that potential within us. And we need to understand that, that God wants to use us by developing the potential he sees in us. God wants to use us by developing that potential. Now, potential is a word that, that I've discussed with a few folks, and it's one of those words I don't like, okay? Because poten- potential means nothing's happened yet. Potential means it might not happen. Potential means maybe if we get it right, it'll come to pass. But you see, with God's help, potential does come to pass if we invest in the lives of others the way Jesus has invested in us. So look at two or three things. First of all, look at Jesus' calling. Uh, In verse 13 it says, He went up on a mountain, called to him those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. You see, Jesus is on a mountain. He's having a mountaintop experience. I think Luke chapter 6 tells us that he had prayed all night before he makes this choice. He calls a smaller group from the large crowds that followed him. They come up to him. And so 
what you need is is that is that this is the preparation Jesus made. He he prayed, he discerned the Father's will, and he calls up those whom he wanted. That's why later on he could say, you do not choose me, but I chose you. And so, again, he's, he's looking at these, and, and these aren't the normal fellows that, that uh, uh, rabbis in his day would call. But he calls them because these are the ones that he wanted. And who are these people, the ones he wanted? And they came to him. Two truths. Uh, again, it was whom he wanted, okay? God calls whom he wants. And secondly, uh, they were obedient. Now, the neat thing to me is God knows us and still chooses to call us. God knows us and still, use, and still chooses to use us. God knows us and loves us enough to want the best for us and says, come follow me. But you see, there has to be some obedience and obedience is not only the first, it's the most important and the best character a follower can have. See, it says they're called to be disciples first. And disciple means a learner, a pupil, an apprentice. He calls these 12. Now listen to me. They were called to learn his ways. They were called to learn his teachings. They were called to learn his applications of truth. They were called to stay with him. Till such time as he went back to the Father. Okay? And what's amazing to me is I want you to hear this. This is what they're mainly called, even more than apostles, throughout the Gospels and into the rest of the New Testament. And disciples is what all of us are called in the book of Acts and in Corinthians. We are called disciples, learners, followers. Here's what that means. We are called to spend time with Jesus also. Now, did you hear that? You're not a very good disciple if you don't learn from the master. We are called to learn Jesus' ways, how he works, how he moves, to listen to the Holy Spirit teach us from his word, to serve as they served and as God would have us serve, to fulfill that word potential. You see, we're called to be disciples, especially in the book of Acts, the disciple is equated with a Christian. See, Christian in the Greek means a little Jesus. And we're to represent him to a lost world. And if we've answered the initial call to, to salvation, we are now disciples, learners, followers. And it implies surrender and obedience. Now hear me. You can't be a good disciple if you're not obedient. It amazes me how many people tell me that, yeah, I thought God wanted me to do that. And I just said, no, that's not for me. Okay, now, now, I'm sorry, but how can you tell the one who died for you, the one who left glory for you, the one who, who is coming back for you? No. That doesn't make sense. That's not being a, a, a disciple, a follower, one who stays with Jesus, one who surrenders to Jesus. These people surrendered. They were obedient. The second thing I see is Jesus not only called, Jesus commissioned. Look at verses 14 through 19. Then he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and cast out demons. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boaner, 
Boanerges, okay? I'm not going to get that right. That is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. You see, Jesus commissioned these. They're unique. And that small band that was following him, and that small band that wanted to be with him, he calls 12. They're unique in that they're not any disciples. They're, they're called and commissioned to be apostles. Now, an apostle had to see the Lord, okay, in his ministry. An apostle, later on, were given the other qualification. They had to see the risen Lord, okay? And that's why there are no longer apostles. That gift has passed on, okay? We need to understand that. And what I wanted you to realize about this, as you read the New Testament, uh, there are four lists of these apostles, okay? And they appear at different places uh, in each of the Gospels, okay? And uh, Peter is always the first one mentioned, okay? He's always first. Philip is always mentioned fifth. James, the son of Alphaeus, ninth. And Judas Iscariot is always last. Now, the order of the names... Uh, changes in between those that I just gave you. And one name is different. That's Thaddeus. Some it's James, blah, 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 whose surname is Thaddeus, etc., etc. It's the same guy. Okay, James the Lesser, whatever you want to call him. Okay. But the number 12 represents uh, the Old Testament version of the 12 patriarchs that were foundation of Judaism. These are the foundation of, of the new covenant, the church. They are apostles. To be an apostle means sent with a met on a mission, sent with a message on a mission. Now think about it. One leads to the other. You're a disciple. You're a learner to be with Jesus, to interpret as he interprets, to learn what he has to say, to act like he acts, to do the miracles he has to do because they're given those special gifts. And then you're sent on a mission to preach the kingdom of God. All of us are sent on a mission to do God's will and the day-by-day living which God has called us. We are all disciples. We are not all apostles. Okay? And we need to understand that. And then I didn't want to see just the uniqueness of these men. I want to see the differences. When I said that Jesus didn't choose in along normal lines, uh, he didn't. What are the differences? These men are different. He says, Peter, uh, you know, and that's his surname, And Peter means a little rock. But Peter was so unstable for most of his ministry until Christ recommissioned him that he wasn't really a rock. He was quicksand. So he became the rock because he became rock-like in his commitment to Christ. He became rock-like in his leadership. He became rock-like in that he was solid for Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that was something that Peter desired in his heart. He always wanted to be faithful to Jesus. He always wanted to be counted on for Jesus. He always wanted to be one that Jesus could say, I know you're going to be there, Peter. And he became that by surrendering and obediently following Christ. Now, did he deny Christ? Everybody say, yes. Was that an awful thing? Yes. But Jesus forgave him. Jesus recommissioned him and appointed him that he would remain. The sons of thunder, James and John. 
Have you ever wondered why he called them sons of thunder? What did that say about their personalities? A little loud, a little boisterous, a little bit opinionated, you know. You know, they're the ones that wanted to call fire down on people. Let's just destroy them, God. Let's get them, Jesus. Just let us call fire down on them. Yeah, they were the sons of thunder. Yeah, one of the, and, and one of the most important seats in the kingdom. That's right. Now that tells you, you know, maybe a little pushy. I don't know. Then you have one that was probably, I don't know, maybe a little bit quieter in the group. Matthew. He's the tax collector. You know, tax collectors were looked on as traitors among the Jews. Now get this. So he's in the group that wants to be faithful to Jesus. He too wants to be faithful to Jesus. But don't you think they looked at him a little bit sideways? Because he had helped the Romans. Because he'd been on the Roman side. Because he hadn't been a good Jewish boy. Maybe he was the black sheep of the group. But then it says he called Simon the Zealot. Now think about it. You've got a tax collector who is viewed as a traitor. And you've got a zealot. The zealots in, in the Jews were a secret group that wanted to overthrow Rome at all cost. So they were radicals. Uh, they were the guerrilla warfare people. They were the ones that, that if you could kill a Roman and get away with it, they would be the ones that did it. And so you got a zealot sitting next to a traitor in a group that's supposed to follow Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Don't you know they had lively supper time discussions? I bet they didn't talk about politics. Then you go on. Andrew. When you see Andrew, what I want you to know about Andrew is he's always in Scripture bringing someone to Christ. He's always introducing someone to Jesus. He's always bringing somebody who wants to meet Jesus. Thaddeus, the one who has the two different names, also called Labius in some of the uh, list. His name means big-hearted. So I look at him as the guy who, oh, 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 he's just a, you know, yeah. yeah. He's the guy that gets along with everybody in the group, sort of the peacemaker. And then you have Judas Iscariot. Now that means he's from Issachar. But the Scari were another political group that uh, wanted to get rid of the Romans. And they were known, the Scari was a dagger that you carried in the folds of your robes. Okay, now get get us what his name means. Judas Iscariot, the man from Issachar, means the man of deceit. If anybody in the group lived up to their name, it was Judas who betrayed Jesus. And yet, in his grace and his knowledge, because remember, Jesus called whom he wanted. And he named Judas the one who would betray him as a follower. Here's what that means. First of all, God's in control. It's going to fulfill Scripture. But it's also a measure of God's grace. Because chance after chance, day after day, he had a chance to really respond to Christ and ultimately rejected him. What do you think it's like in hell for Judas? As he's trying to count out 30 pieces of silver. And they just keep coming back. And he has to keep counting. And he has to keep remembering in his heart all the words of Jesus. 
And he has to keep remembering all the times that he had a chance to really turn his heart over to God and he wouldn't do it. You see, God still uses and unites quite a group of characters. If you don't believe that, look around our church. I mean that with love. It would be rather boring if we were all the same. And think about what it takes to make up a church. It takes up people of various gifts and personalities, temperaments, to give the church the right balance that God wants it to have. Let the Holy Spirit be sovereign and develop that potential, if you will, within us so that we become all that he wants us to become in Christ Jesus. So rather than looking sideways at somebody about, they talk funny, or they're different than me, or, Brother Gary, really? We ought to be thinking, thank you, God, that you like enough characters that you included me. And that's the way we ought to be. They were messengers, ambassadors, missionaries. They were apostles sent with a special message about Jesus. And we are disciples sent on the same mission speaking about Jesus. To use the various gifts God has given us and develop within us to bring glory to the name of Christ. And that should excite us. We should make sure that we're on mission. We should make sure we're doing what we're supposed to do. We should make sure we're spending time with the Lord learning who He is. Because He is not dead. He is alive. And desires that relationship. The last thing is not that Jesus called and not that Jesus commissioned, but Jesus carried on. It says in verse 20, The multitude came together again. So they've been up on the mountaintop. He calls those special twelve to him. What a band to follow him. At some point it says they enter a house. I think that means they came back down from the mountaintop and entered the house. Probably where they were used to say because as the crowd came back together and they could not so much as eat bread. In other words, there's so many people needing help, wanting to be healed, wanting to hear Jesus, to see Jesus. It's so crowded inside the house. It spills out of the house. They're so busy with people coming and going. They can't even take time to get a biscuit. Or a piece of cornbread is what it means. Might not have had cornbread, but they had biscuits or dough or bread. And then his family's reaction. But when his own family heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, he is out of his mind. See, the crowd is so big, it interrupts life. His family is so concerned, they're going to put a stop to it right now. Maybe they were worried about his health. Mentally and physically. Maybe they were worried that he had left a good job. Maybe they were worried that they could see the group he picked to follow. Jesus, couldn't you pick better guys to hang around than this? I can just hear it now. And maybe they had heard, because you read right before he goes up on this mountaintop, that he has such conflict with the religious leaders that this early in ministry they start planning to kill him. And maybe they're hearing that. Jesus, why would you... These are the movers and the shakers, Jesus. 
These guys have power, political clout. You need not to upset these folks. And so they're going to put a stop to it. But Jesus didn't let them put a stop to it. He carried on the work that God had called him to do. And when God calls us and equips us, no matter what the devil throws at us, we're to carry on the work. The saddest thing is to see a Christian just sort of drop by the wayside. They give up. They've been hurt. They don't want to carry on. All they're trying to do is serve, and this kind of stuff happens. We're not called to quit. We're called to carry on. What would have happened? I want you to think about it. What would have happened to the one who set for us the example if he would have quit before the cross? What if he would have quit? None of us endured the things yet that Jesus has endured. The temptation, the pain, the suffering, the insults. I mean, can you imagine having all power and they place a crown of thorns on your head and they beat it in? They pluck your beard, they call you obscene names, they spit on you. And they had stripped his clothes off of him. And then you carry a cross up there. Most scholars believe that you were naked hanging on that cross. How embarrassing would that be? And then they're walking by, still insulting you, who has all power and 12 legions of angels to put a stop to everything. That's love. Why? He knew we needed salvation. He'd called a group to spread that message. He'd gifted them. And you know, some historians, I think, have it wrong. They look at this list of names and they say, they didn't do much in life. Really? Really? When you look at it in the book of Acts, they are called the ones who turned the world upside down. In God's economy, they fulfilled their potential. In God's economy, they were successful. In God's economy, they were obedient and faithful. And that's what we're still called to be, obedient and faithful. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. How do you apply something like this to yourself? You need to ask yourself, we get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ. We should be celebrating that. Anytime you think of the birth of Christ, you should think of the cross of Christ and the resurrection because without the cross and the resurrection, the birth of Christ absolutely is just another good story. But this is the beginning. We should focus on the future. Maybe you need to commit tonight to being obedient and faithful. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you think that Your work's being ignored. Maybe you think that somehow God doesn't care, but he does. Maybe you should surrender anew the potential that he sees within each of you to become the Christian he wants you to become. Maybe you need to come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need to come and join the church. Maybe there's burdens that you have that you need to lay at the altar that are holding you back. And you need to leave them here. Father God, let us do your will tonight for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.